Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Welcome to our favorite time of the week. And we're very lucky this week to have Google's Anna Baird. And Google is head of culture and innovation and customer success. But she also runs a cocoon advisory business, which is for tech startups. Anna, welcome to the series. Thank you both, Ben and Jonathan. Morning, afternoon, evening, depending on where you are in the world. <laughs> And you're in Vancouver in Canada, although you've spent some of your time in London recently. You, you flip between the two, don't you? That I am. I am hoteling in Vancouver at the moment, missing lots of goodness from London and the broader EMEA community, but uh, very happy to be outdoors and enjoying some of the West Coast life. Yeah. No, and, and we understand when we were chatting earlier, Ben, and you and I, is that... Um, having that that great outdoors which I, I have loved in Canada and being in uh, Calgary and Banff up and the uh, the Great Divide. It, it is fantastic, but you've also been having some terrible time with the, the fires, with all the smog and the, and the, and the smoke. Is, has that been affecting your area or is it further away from you? Yeah, no, it's uh, the fires have come all the way up uh, into BC across obviously Washington, in Oregon, California, where the majority of the fires have been. Um, but the smoke, it's amazing how far the, the smoke has been traveling. And so air quality just across the West Coast into Canada has been really challenging for families and colleagues and friends um, alike. So I count myself grateful. Vancouver's had some fantastic rain. I don't think I've ever been happier to see little drops of water fall from the sky to clear away some of that smoke. And especially for those, you know, who air quality, um, some of our older population, you know, new babies, it's so hard to be outside when it's so thick and mm. almost engulfing. So yeah, very grateful at least that it's cleared away for now and we're sort of safe and sound in Vancouver at the moment. Great. So tell us a bit uh, more about um, the, the whole issue of working for Google, which is a, a very well-respected global brand. And Cocoon, tell us a bit about what you're doing now and your journey, this sort of journey into this. And you've been in LinkedIn and you've done a Macquarie and PwC where I was. You've, you've had you know, a great career already, but tell us a bit about the journey into there and what you've learned on the way and a little bit about the, the work you're doing at the moment. Absolutely. So uh, my journey started with a partner at PwC, uh, his name is Philip, and essentially he was the start of what I'll call my customer experience education. So when I started at PwC, Philip and team supported me as part of uh, the analyst organization in the CRM practice. So at the time we were across, you know, Siebel, Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce was really ramping up. And so I was learning the ins and outs of these systems all the way to sort of the coding in the background fields and how different 
fields of information connected to reporting, et cetera. So I got a really good look at the actual coding side of systems. Mm. But, you know, advancing through my career, and you mentioned a few of the companies I was working with along the way, it became not only about the technology, but also about the customer experience program, like the wrapping around what you as a company do for your end customer. And so that's kind of been a thread throughout my work, including my work at LinkedIn, which is how Ben and I uh, know each other pretty well from our time there. And I guess fast forward to where I am now, Cocoon Advisory is a company that I started because a lot of in new stage are challenged promoting this, whether it's specific sales or marketing efforts. And so this was a place where I could draw on my customer experience knowledge and almost give back to these businesses that needed a little bit of a leg up to get out there. It, it, is, uh, it is interesting, this theme about creating electrifying culture and shooting for the moon. We've been shooting for the moon, but the technology wasn't working quite as well, but you're back. <laughs> ben, over to you, really. You, you had a question on... Um... Yeah, so um, just sort of looking at that sort of that, that journey, you've worked through like quite a lot of different companies, and and um, and and from my experience of working working in LinkedIn, it's all about the culture and all about sort of values. What have you sort of experienced along the way about about that sort of aspect of of, of the businesses you worked or work for? Yeah, so I think I probably dropped as I was summarizing uh, Google and the synergy I, f I felt with sort of my style and how I tend to try and lead and their style. And I think the one piece where I've stayed with a business for a longer term has been the fact that the culture is organic. And it's all about the people that have been hired or represent that business because they've been retained really well. They create you know, um, opportunity to share open and honestly, but constructively, or uh, they, you know, at my time uh, with the customer executive board, CEB, before Gartner um, purchased them later down the line, CEB was a place where a lot of the advisors that I worked with had these um, outside of work personalities. One of the gentlemen I remember most who was a leader at CEB was also an announcer for NBA games <laughs> outside of his day job. And so cool. you can imagine for his customers, him showing up and talking about you know, sales and marketing with this incredible announcer voice. I mean, <laughs> talk about presence, that's, that's something you can't teach. So I think, you know, I tell that story because I think that the culture of being a real human behind the, the role or job that you have is really hard to achieve. I think a lot of people feel like they have to park their, their personal life or, or, you know, life outside of work when they come to work. And I think what COVID's done for us is it's actually exposed all of those different pieces that we're always operating in the background, like family or friends or pets or kids or extracurricular activities. Um, and I think we all have gained from COVID if there's a silver lining, we get to be real people again, where mm. you know some of the chaos is there and it happens and, and we're all trying to manage it together. So I think if I think about my most memorable culture, cultural experiences within the companies I've worked for, CB's been one of them, certainly. Um, LinkedIn, uh, when 
when the sales line of business was being stood up was just an incredible place for sort of creativity and sharing mm. and um, trying new things and failing, but learning from those failures. And I think where I've now ended up with Google is that's how Larry and Sergey built the company was that whole mantra of launch and iterate and bring your whole self to work. So I think the merriment of those experiences has made me feel like Google for me is uh, sort of a uh, coming together of all of those things I value in those companies. Mm-hmm. And and if you were looking, because that's a, a real sort of journey through some really sort of interesting companies, but um, what would be the a piece of advice that you'd l- love to have given yourself right in the beginning? So going back to my PwC days, and Jonathan, you've experienced um, that culture. I think the, the one thing that I took myself very seriously as an analyst. I was always really worried about public presentations and uh, slide decks and delivering the message. And I think what I've learned over time is the secret that actually the audience has no idea what you're about to share. So even though you have made a mistake or two, they have no idea uh, because they, they didn't get exposure to the material or your presentation in advance. And so I think on a very micro level, the whole idea of just try it and learn from it um, was something that I had to get out of the mindset of it always has to be 100% baked and 100% ready. Um, Within a lot of companies I've worked with or worked um, as part of recently, especially startups, 80% baked is good enough. And putting it out there and getting feedback is actually more worthwhile than perfecting it. And so I think that's that's the micro advice. The macro advice is life happens, failures happen, and they don't feel great. In fact, there are times where I think in your career, you just feel like you've hit a low because you're not producing at your best. You don't particularly enjoy the leadership you work for. You don't see yourself in them, whatever it is, that's not motivating to you. And you kind of get into the doldrums And I think for me, what I try now to impart to people is start talking, get out there and have conversations, talk to other people, what they're experiencing. Um, You may not want to change jobs. You don't always have to leave the company, but maybe it's just a role in the company, or maybe it's what we call at Google, a 20% project where you're exploring something new. There, in the history of the world, I've never heard a time where someone said, volunteering was the worst experience I've ever had. You know, I think trialing things in environments where you're supported is really positive um, and find people that you can lean on for that advice. Um, So I think those are the two things at a macro level, I would say, Mm. go out and try new things in different environments, but also find people you, you value their advice and, you know, have someone that's going to coddle you, have someone that's going to give you hard truth and combine those and you have a pretty good support network yeah uh, it is very interesting you you touch upon successes and failures and um i think it was the university of uh, michigan were talking about teachable moments that, that when something doesn't work out great it's a teachable moment what have you learned what are you going to do differently and learning and action is is always the solution you know, as, as Mandela said, I either succeed or I learn. And, and you've had some highs and lows. What would be your proudest moment? 
and and what would be your darkest moment and what were your teachable moments in both cases Yeah, so I, I often think about this. So I think there are two proudest moments, um, one more personally driven, one probably more career driven. I think the uh, on the proudest side, I recently in the last couple of years presented um, a, a new community for women on the rise in leadership. And the community was developed in Canada and made its way to UK. And I was a part of the presentation team to host the opening at Canada House. So for me, one, being very proudly Canadian, but two, being able to stand up alongside the entire leadership team at Canada House to welcome this program I was really invested in was really positive and an experience where I sort of look back on the pictures and I think that was that was a moment for me where in my career, in my personal life, I felt like I had really done something great. And on top of that, I had some incredible leaders from LinkedIn and other parts of my life come and join as part of the support in the audience. So, I, you know, that was a proud moment. I think from a career perspective, proud moments definitely include standing up my own company to work with now over 20 startups across my my work and just being able to work with those executive teams and those startups and really help them build something, whether they were looking to sell or whether they were looking to really scale, etc. And um, and I think just being honored to be looked at by Google as someone who could contribute to the broader business they have. And so uh, developing videos and learning more about Larry and Sergey standing up business and what it took to create Google. Um, I've been I felt very proud to be a part of that narrative. The, the, the tough parts are there are many. Let me leave with I could probably list off 20 for you. But the one that really comes to mind more recently is in my startup work, I signed on to deal with startup leadership, who to be honest, just uh, we did not, we did not have a good working relationship. We did see eye to eye in early days. And I felt really, really challenged and defeated by the fact that there was no positive effect that I could have on that business, even though I had signed up for a longer term um, contract to support them. And so darkest moments were having to have very tough conversations of what expectations were coming into the role and what they appeared to be as I was in the role, um, working with them and parting ways. And no one ever likes to break up <laughs> or part ways, uh, not in love, not in work life, never. And I think um, sometimes those breakups have to happen in order for both of you to both to go and thrive. And I might not have been the right advisor for them. And they might not have been the right fit startup for me and, and my business. So acknowledging that, but there were a number of weeks that I, I just felt like I had invested so much into that opportunity. And all of a sudden, it was coming to a, a, a sort of skittish halt that I couldn't do anything about. And so Talk about learnings. I think of the proudest moments. I I always just look back and say, thanks everyone for getting me here, and well done for persevering. Almost to myself, like getting through it, being part of it, and making the opportunity uh, come to life. On that example where it was a darkest moment, um, just true reflection. I had some very, very down sort of tough moments with myself around what did I need to change in terms of my style and my communication. 
And then second guessing, did I need to change or was it them that needed to change that whole, you know, it's not you, it's me, but actually it is you and it's not me type of challenge. And so, you know, I think coming out of it, I learned to write a lot of those feelings down when, especially around work, when things are just not, the results aren't there, the metrics aren't there or the outcomes that I expected aren't there and writing down the path of why I think that it that has come about or what may be broke in the process. And I think there's a lot of time, especially when you're building your confidence where you never want it to be you, you never want to have been the issue or the person that broke down on communication. And I think for me in that example, there were aspects of my communication that have been much better, much more clear, much more articulate that might have helped that startup executive understand what they were getting when they contacted with me. Yeah. And so and, now and I try and create that precision, you know, th through different mediums, etc. Very good. And, and we've got a we've got a, a bit of banter going on uh, on the chat show. But we've actually got a, a good question here from Great. Chris Sunderland. Can we put that one up, Ben? Mm -hmm. um, has the panel encountered imposter syndrome? Has it been seen in both male and females? How did you deal with it? Nice to see you, Chris. Uh, and uh, Chris works in the legal world. Um, if I could just go before you, you add your experience, um, Anna. Um, it, it is, yes, both male and female. Um, the, the interesting thing is um, the men tend to blag it. Um, and friends of mine are in executive search. If the men have 50% of the qualities they're looking for, they go, I can do that. I, I'll learn on the job. But they get very frustrated, even the female executive search consultants, when the women who have 90% of the qualities go, I'm not quite there yet. They, they, you know, really not yet. I need to get more experience. Now, you can't generalize. Everybody's very different. But it's just the women tend to be more honest about talking about it than the men do, but it is something I've experienced with all leaders. They're afraid that somebody might catch them out and find them out. What's, what's your experience, Anna? Uh, so agreed, I think with what you shared more broadly, I think it's definitely across the board that people sometimes look up, like you almost say you pull your head out of the sand because you're so tunnel visioned on what you're trying to do as a leader and you look around and you think oh do I really compare to those people or am I competitive and um, I think about things like performance ratings and and you're compared to your peers that's how calibration happens in companies around performance there has to be a scale and so it's natural that you look around and compare yourself the whole piece around am I up to this role can I do this job my personal experience with it is there have been probably two times in my career um, where I have been up to the job, but the support or lack thereof that I was receiving from the leadership meant I was second guessing myself. And so their imposter syndrome was really a, a knock on effect from my confidence being downgraded by perhaps a leadership that just either didn't believe in me or didn't give me the right stepping stones to show what I can actually do. Uh, I think there are other times, you know, imposter syndrome is something that, that was talked about a lot at LinkedIn and uh, it's talked about a lot at Google. And I think being a, a female leader, one thing 
that people often bring up on panels that I've been a part of is, do you see yourself in the other leadership above you? And that can often create imposter syndrome if you don't look like, sound like, uh, think like, approach like the people that are ultimately making decisions on your success in that role. And so imposter syndrome becomes less about looking inward and saying, no, I'm up to the challenge, but it's more about, do I need to change my style to fit that leadership? Or do I plow through as, you know, Anna Baird, um, extroverted, overly communicative, whatever those descriptors are, good or bad, and do I just make myself known in that footprint? And if I'm not the right fit for this business, I'll find another business. So I think for me, imposter syndrome has, diver has been divergent in terms of do I stay and do I continue to bring my whole self to work or do I, do I find an opportunity to exit into something where my whole self is more valued? Um, so that's been my balance. I probably didn't answer your question greatly there, Chris, but that's been the thing that I've struggled with most as I've looked at my career. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks for the questions and, and keep them coming in as we're going. It's lovely to, to hear from people as as um, as the questions come to mind. Um, we've got another one from Catherine. Um, uh, have you had a mentor or a coach along, along the way? Many and some I'll say paid and some just lending me their time. Um, so some of the coaches I've had um, have also been direct managers of mine. Um, so I see I had an incredible leader um, named Molly and she's still there, still working in the practice. Um, she's a very senior leader now and she was my direct manager, but also my coach in the broader organization. And um, even when she was my skip manager in my early days, she always invested a lot of time with me around where did I want to go and what did I want to be known for in my brand. And so I think about her often because she literally was the reason and is the reason that I give and volunteer my time now to people looking to get into the type of industry I'm in or the type of role that I'm working on or even the startup community. Um, so she stands out from a paid perspective. There have been a number of individuals, men and women, where I've paid for um, coaching around specific aspects. So public speaking being one of them, which has always been a part of many of my jobs. How do I perfect it? How do I create a narrative that engages people? So I paid coaching on things like that as well as just paying for coaching around even standing up my business it's so funny i'm an advisor to startups on sales and marketing and i had my own startup where i needed advice on how to do all of those pieces that are required when you have a startup and you're wearing all those hats and so i think it's a bit funny where it's almost they say you know, uh, lawyers make the worst defendants and doctors make the worst patients and i think Sometimes when you can't see the wood through the trees, you need external advice. Even if that's your field, you need external advice to soundboard it. And so when I think about you know paid coaching, I often identify a prescriptive problem and go and look to fill it by having a coach in that space. Or if I'm lucky enough to have someone in my 
network who's willing to mentor me. I'll bend their ear for, for free or for dinner or for coffee uh, to get that kind of advice. Yeah. Lovely. So um, we always find with um, with successful people that they normally have habits that that, that that made them successful, something that that they've consistently sort of lent on um, over time. Um, and we always look at those sort of different areas, both healthy, wealthy, and wise. So, what sort of habits have made you successful over 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 your career? Well, let me start with COVID. Has been uh, spending more time with family um, in sort of the bubble and being home more has been a huge silver lining and benefit to me. Um, I was often traveling almost every week. My husband and I were talking about the fact that um, our, you know, air, air mile statements or the the benefit statements from airlines are have not been coming through because neither of us have been traveling, and so. Being grounded has actually enabled me to create some better routines. Um, one of which, you know, which is a little entree to myself as probably uh, a future 90 plus year old is my nighttime routine and my wind down routine and just getting out of, you know, the, especially if I'm having late night business calls with you know, the day pack team or, or even in, in the name or time zones where we're going later into the evening, it's really hard to wind down from those calls. You're either amped up because you've been presenting or you've had, you know, a great debate um, and it's hard to turn your brain off. And so the nighttime wind down has often been, you know, a, a nice cup of non-caffeinated tea. I think I've got enough energy without the caffeine and, um, you know, reading something that isn't to do with work. So like books or even just blogs, um, trying not to turn on the news for me. I found the news to be a much harder way to digest my day, especially more recently with all the socioeconomic and political perspectives out there. Um, and I think one of the things as a leader that I tried to do for other people around me is actually book in my exercise time to show when I'm going to be going for a run or using the gym or whatever it is in, in my, um, in my flat and actually showing people that I'm booking that in so that people don't override it, but also that I'm valuing health and wellness enough to have it be a formal part of my diary. And I think by me that enabled my team members and others to write in more personal needs that they had to stay mentally well, physically well, or all of the above. Mm -hmm. And I think if more leaders did that and kind of led with oh, what we call uh, at Google, there's a great quote that I've now borrowed with pride across my advisory, my startup business as well, is which is open sourcing and just sharing really those intricacies of your life. And so for me, things like block time to exercise, blocking time where Olivia, who um, is my daughter and I go to music class. Those are the types of things that I think when you reveal kind of what's behind the curtain for people in terms of your personal life in a work environment, mm. it helps others to, to do the same and to feel like they can block time as they need to for themselves. Um, so I think those are a few things that I would point to that were really valuable to get a bit of a routine, a bit of a, a, ha a habitual, every day looks like this and I can really be open about it. 
Yeah, I think especially now that that sort of com having those compartments of of, of um, non work time is so important because just work has just crept into everything. If you don't if you don't do that at the moment, I I really sort of struggled with the first few months of lockdown where it, where it'd just be on the computer all day and you need, just needed to that time to just um decompress because you didn't have it commuting or traveling or anything like that those those little moments of of you time were just so important um yeah definitely mm -hmm. um we've got a few more and one questions, thing i would I say ben oh sure. sure sorry i was just gonna say one thing i would say um you and jonathan brought up when we were talking about this conversation today uh, just around who you surround yourself with. And mm. I think the other the other habit that I've gotten into more is just sending brief messages, whether it's to colleagues or to family members or friends, mm. just to not only check in, but to tell them, you know, I care about them. And I think I've never heard someone in my life say, I really hated that loving message I got. You know, I, I think it's one of those things that I, I almost like this is gonna sound so cheesy, but I almost more recently live my life love actually style where I'm I'm trying to be more vocal about my my gratitude for the people around me, but also just to actually check in with people. I think us all being somewhat more isolated and, and virtual environments, we miss those in the hall touch points or meeting for coffees or lunches or just seeing people, you know, on the tube in the morning, you miss that regular communication. And you've got it hopefully with your family or friends or other people around you. But I think just making an extra effort to have those messages there for people, that to me is how we're gonna bolster support for one another, whatever comes mm. in the next few months, next years, et cetera. Yeah. Well, that, that leads us nicely, Ben, just into, uh, we've got the question from Don, which um, we'd put up, but it, I'm very interested Anna. Google did some excellent research about what makes successful teams. I believe, I may be wrong, it was called Project Aristotle. Uh, and, and it was very helpful in the leadership industry, uh, the research that came out of that about what makes a good team. So my question was gonna be what, what makes a good inspiring team, what makes a good inspiring team? And it ties into to, uh, Don, who always asks some great question, Don's question here. So maybe would you pick us up on Teams, the work at Google on Teams, and then you know your experience? Absolutely. So I'm going to um, shamelessly plug a video that was recently released on YouTube by uh, Maria, who's one of our incredible team members in the people operations team at Google. And Maria talks about it's um, why people matter at Google. So if you put that into the YouTube search bar, there's a video on both Project uh, Oxygen and I believe she also mentions aspects of Project Aristotle. And those are two of our people research pieces that we've open sourced as part of Google to the broader community. So I'll shamelessly plug that. Um, in terms of the findings around those, Jonathan, you're very right. Um, there were a number of parts of that research, which I won't be able to unpack today, but one of the main uh, assumptions or, or um, one of the hypotheses that, that Google tested long before my time was the value of a manager. What does a manager bring to the table? And if we wanted every manager to be the best manager possible, what would we need to see in them in terms of qualities? And that's Project Oxygen. And so 
Um, at one point in Google's history, the entire organization was flattened and managers were essentially removed from their roles just to see what would happen for individual contributors and, you know, where would their requests for holiday go? Where would they go for career support? Things like that. So that was um, an experiment that I can safely say was probably one of the bigger uh, people research experiments Google's done. And very quickly after doing flattening the organization, managers were reinstated because of the value they bring in so many areas, not just politically, but also in terms of that membership and coaching. So um, one of the things for me that has really rung true is the whole concept of a manager being a good coach and someone who when you ask for feedback or even when you don't ask for it is going to give you a perspective on what's gone really well what are things that you can work on um, as an individual or as a part of a team and getting that that viewpoint constructively so giving you an opportunity to then make a plan and look at what you as an individual can can change and also so what that means for the uh, team dynamic or a broader organization's dynamic. And so I think looking sort of at Dawn's questions, some of the values that, again, in this video series that I am shamelessly plugging, some of the values that Google has been based on are things like defaulting to open. And so uh, um, in my startup practice, one of the things I advise startups before I did work with Google was create platforms where people can share documentation and work together on the same documents um, so that you don't create silos and people aren't reinventing the wheel. You know, in a startup environment, you're so starved for resource and time. If you're consistently and continually creating things from scratch, when other people might have attacked it in you know earlier days, you're losing out on opportunity um, and you're essentially losing out on money made because that's, mon that's time you be spending with customers and clients. So I think the whole idea of sharing is caring is really true when it comes to the new virtual world, working with other people, getting um, people to share ideas, not having everything to be perfectly baked before it's shared. And the iterating off of it is really important. And so I think that value plus what I would refer to, and I'll pause for reaction from both of you is psychological safety it's talked about so often. And to me, psychological safety is not only giving people a voice to talk about what affects them in their role and how they can do it better and, and what they would like to see in terms of an environment, but it's also having a proper protocol for if I experience something or I hear something or I see something isn't right, how do I level that up? Um, and, you know, on the flip side, if I see something that's exceptional and I really want to champion work some done, how do I thank them or honor them? And so um, in some of these YouTube videos that I've worked on with Google, we talk about, you know, default to open and psychological safety and, and really just shared what it's meant for Google, not saying that yeah. everyone else, yeah. it, it should mean the same thing, but just what we've learned and, you know, how others can leverage that. If I could could build on that, and we could bring in Mark Bagwell in a minute, who um, I could be talking with Mark on Monday. Um, psychological safety, Anna, you've you've nailed it. It comes up for Ben and I time and again, but mm -hmm. also um, in the best teams that I develop, 
they they have already got psychological safety and they just need to develop it more. And in the toxic teams that uh, my wife is, is writing a book on, Inspiring Leadership and the Toxic Turnaround, um, it's psychological safety is the basis of it. And there's that speed of trust by Stephen Covey Jr. Trust equals speed times cost. If there's not psychological safety, there's no trust. And if there's no trust, things just cost a lot and they take so long to do. What's, what's your experience, Ben? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think it's one of the the most important roles of, of, of a leader is to extend that sort of safety net around the people that they're looking after and, and their team to have that level of trust in their leader um, that that they have their their interests um, at heart. And um, another book which, which is really good around that is, is Leaders Eat Last, um, Simon Sinek. He, he, he talks about that that whole um, piece really well. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's just about creating that safe space to to be your authentic self, to be honest, to be transparent. Um, and I think it cuts out a huge amount of problems, but it also enables people to perform at their um, best um, uh, at all times. Yeah, yeah. Let's, put, let's put Mark's question up there and then uh, Mark Bagwell and maybe Mark uh, Baladi. Yeah, we've got loads of questions coming in. You've you've you've, you've, you've hit lots of uh, uh, nerves, I think. There, Anna. So, if we miss well, anybody no. out, we apologise. There's there's so much um, coming up on the stream here. Um, but Mark, um, we'll change the view again because otherwise we lose people's faces. So, what would be your approach to building a positive team culture with collaboration when team members are working remotely, virtually, either internationally or in the current climate? Yeah, such a good question. Um, so I think I point to two things. There are probably many more than two, but in terms of the team culture and collaboration piece with the with virtual elements, one of the pieces of advice that someone gave me once on a, um, a startup panel was just the pure opening and closing of every meeting and what you can do to create psychological safety in minute one. And so um, this has been shared in many companies as many different things. Um, more recently, I heard one of my Google colleagues call it um, wows and whoopsies, which I decided is arguably the best name I've heard so far. Um, and I think I like it, it's, it's as a leader, you, yeah, right? It's the WW <laughs> capabilities. And I think um, as a leader opening up and saying, here's what went really well this week or something I'm proud of, here's something I'm challenged by, or I'm working through, or I'm mm. purely stumped. I think that's the other piece is we can't always solution challenges. We'd like to think we can, but some are just really big and hairy and difficult. And so as a leader, if you open up meetings, especially in a virtual environment like that, people feel more comfortable and they get mm. used to that cadence of being able to air what's going on in their world. And it also allows for empathy in the group or compassion for that yeah. individual. So we don't all perform at our best all the time and having those weekly or you know monthly touch points with your team, whatever it is, and being able to air what's going on is really helpful. So I think that'd be mm -hmm. my first tip and tip or trick is opening and closing meetings with those types of round table sharing. I think the other thing is virtual collaboration. So from a, 
a startup perspective, I could collaborate with other advisors very easily because we had shared folders and we already had agreements in place. What I think is interesting on a virtual environment is that you don't have that same off the cuff brainstorming capability where you might be having a coffee and a great idea comes up and you're, you know, sketching it down or you're writing it into your phone. I think it's more forced when you're on a virtual call. Um, you know, not everyone has a whiteboard or a place to sketch down ideas or just um, the the mental state even like if you have your pets and kids in the background it's really hard to all of a sudden be creative uh, you know as you're asked to be and so um one of the cool things that uh, i've tested is just having uh, an open slide deck almost where people can throw in like really wacky ideas across the board and they can all be anonymous you can use you know a polling system i know linkedin's got some things i know um, you know, Google things, there are many technologies you can leverage out there, but just allowing people that constant system of being able to put ideas or questions in and gathering those thoughts and aggregating the themes has been a really great way for people who aren't as vocal, maybe verbally, to be able to have an outlet to give their ideas and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so I think Tip number two is being cognizant of the different ways people absorb information and give information. And so what are those different styles? And through all these mediums, you know, virtual speaking, uh, virtual written sharing, things, how can you make sure that there are multiple places and mediums for people to communicate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Anna, building on that, um, I'm finding the, the clients that I'm working with, uh, as they, we're gonna be talking about, um, COVID and the impact on, on you later. Um, but they're finding, you know, four days working from home, one day coming into the office with a wider open plan office where they can sit around very large tables along social distancing from each other, you know, the right kind of surfaces that can be cleaned and things like this. But the, for innovation, your specialism and creating uh, electrifying culture and shooting for the moon is the theme that we're talking about today it does really help getting people together. I don't think we're, we're gonna, people say, oh, we'll, we'll never need to meet again. I, I, I do think for innovation, when I'm doing team development, I really miss not getting a team that I'm developing together. We can do it online, but I'm interested in, in your view on finding some occasions for innovation and creativity and where people don't speak over each other, they each get their own turn, time to think Nancy Klein's work is brilliant. Uh, what's what's your experience and what's the research? Yeah, so I'm gonna really just lean on Brene Brown thoughts for a second, which is the humanity side, like the human side of engagement. I think no matter who you are, having that ability to read body language and better tone of voice when you're live versus a virtual environment. I mean, we were joking earlier, we're, we're an entire ocean and, and many more provinces and countries apart from each other right now having this conversation. And it can be hard to, to tell by someone's voice or delivery or tone or even the way they use their eyes to communicate um, what they're really feeling or getting at. And so I think the human side and just 
being able to be with people and kind of see them holistically, hear them holistically, and in some ways not be distracted. So I think it is harder in a meeting to be distracted and multitask. Yes, you can do it on your phone. Yes, you can step outside the meeting, but it's very apparent where in a, in a virtual environment, if I was just dialing in today, for all you and, and Ben knew, I could be hoovering in the background, right? I think um, that uh, I'm not, by the way, but I could be. And that's, I think the, I think that's the reality of sort of virtual environments is we're all trying to do a lot of things at once, maybe more so than we would have in a physical environment. But I didn't really answer your question, bringing it back to sort of leadership and, and thinking about innovation, the spontaneity and the drawing on someone else's energy or ideas is definitely having to be more manufactured over a virtual environment. And that's something that in the startup community has been spoken about time and time again. Um, startups miss meeting with other startups. Like when you are a, a group of three or four standing up a business, you miss being in uh, a public space, you know, a, a WeWork environment, spaces, all of those environments, and just drawing on other energy of other founders and startup environments around you. Even if you're not connecting with them regularly, you know, you see the team high fives, you see the whiteboard sessions, and that's the same for large enterprise. Um, a lot of uh, companies that I've spoken to recently around how to keep innovation flowing for the company. Uh, you know, I was recently on a, a round table for construction and we were talking about the fact that in the construction industry, there are two types of employees. You have office employees and you have employees that are on the ground at a site. And so innovation in an on the ground at a site environment when you have to think about COVID restrictions are very different from people virtually being in their homes trying to support sort of an office environment and the one thing I can't remember which of the the individuals on the call but one thing they said is you can always get sort of the pulse by asking for feedback and you can't ask for feedback enough in those environments and people will serve you up you know really out there like moonshot ideas on how to solve it but they'll also serve you what i'll call the band-aids like the things the stepping stones you can do in the interim to make it better easier for communication for sharing of ideas um, and for not being siloed so i think there's something to be said for you know, passing around the virtual hat and asking for people to write down how they're thinking about a current problem, what they would do if they could solution it, and giving some of that power back to the audience that you're trying to solve for. You know, crowdsourcing is not a new thing. Why does it have to stop it the, at the startup level? Why can't it be something we, we invest in more time at an enterprise level? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's going to be so so many things in that area that are lost in between the meetings sorry my little my little ones in the background there that's right that's real life ben it's real life. Uh, yeah so um i think you're right with with all those sort of moments which are outside of meetings and outside of um your your normal sort of interaction time you're losing loads of those important interactions and um and and abilities to to absorb yourself in, in there. 
Yeah. Um, so I think we've got we're, we're sort of running out of time here, so we're going to have to zip through a few of the few of the questions that we've got um, on on uh, sure. on the uh, agenda. So um, one that I'd like to ask is is, is about a, a, a inspiring leader that, that has inspired you in, in your career, someone that's um, that's uh, been an inspiration for you, and that you'd probably like to see them on Absolutely. the series, Anna. Maybe someone that you'd recommend could share more with those who are listening. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, a number of people come to mind uh, and hopefully they'll appreciate um, being named. There, There is a gentleman who I worked with, um, his name is Tarek, and he leads um, the people environment at Allen and Overy. And um, he was actually, I met him originally, he was a customer of mine at LinkedIn when I was, running a point on the professional services portfolio and um, have kept in touch with him over the recent years since his shift from from um, his employer at the time, Deloitte to Alan and Ori, and my shift um, from LinkedIn into sort of my new startup world. Um, he's inspired for many reasons. One of, of his pieces, one of the pieces of how he leads that I continually try and remind myself about is his patience and his openness to new ideas and people. And I think it's very easy to become closed off. And I'm sure you can tell I'm a very excitable individual when I get really passionate about something. And that excitement needs to be balanced with patience and patience for other people in particular, where I've been told by managers across my career that sometimes I'm three steps ahead, but I haven't brought people along with me on those steps. So they're a bit behind in the narrative and, and or just haven't seen yet where I'm trying to go in terms of the project or the program. So I try and internalize that. And I think for me, Tarek is one of those leaders who is all about getting multiple minds around the table to talk about a problem because I think his leadership style is the more the merrier in terms of abilities to find a solution. And I think I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think the second thing that I often heard from the, the few of his team members that I dealt with in um, both our sort of client relationship and then beyond um, is that he will, you know, create an exceptional strategy, but he is constantly whether that strategy is working and he will shift or tweak or add to the strategy for the future of that business or that work and I think a lot of teams struggle to do that leaders especially I, I know I have where I've created a really in-depth strategy and didn't want to shift away from it because so much time went into the strategizing we now had to go and deliver and so having that mindset of maneuverability I think is a as a huge capability that he has a muscle I'm trying to grow myself. So he would be someone okay. I would point to. Mm. He's also just an incredibly thoughtful person to have a, a regular life chat with. Um, and so mm. I just enjoy spending time with him. And I think that's why I really value him as someone and an input to how I lead. Great. And if I combine about three of the questions that we were going to ask, which is the whole theme of COVID, pandemics, change, uh, coping with things. What are you picking up personally from the research that you've done and the the, uh, the tech companies you're helping 
about the way it's going to be in the future. What, what, what are the people listening? What, what is the, the world of work going to be like? There's some general things we all sort of know where it's going, but, but what are you picking up? It's just a little different. Not many people would have heard about it. One or two little bomb mows. Yeah, um, it's going to be very introspective what I'll share. So I recognize, let me caveat this with I recognize this is not necessarily going to be blanket for a lot of businesses. But I think within the tech sphere, um, early days, talking through with our public affairs team, and um, there will be a lot more sharing, I think, coming out through uh, Twitter in terms of what Google specifically is going to share. But even looking at startups, um, a lot of what the offering is for this really cool innovation environment is, is about the environment itself, the physical environment. And some of the things we've talked about today, which is being able to, to meet um, at a table. So with Google, um, part of the experience is some of the food offerings and, and drink offerings so that employees are encouraged to kind of feel like they're around the lunch table with their family and can talk about things that lead to work innovations, but also lead to deeper relationship building. So the whole, you know, Larry and Sergey creating lunch, free lunch for Google employees was based on that concept of family and trust and building relationships outside of meeting rooms. And then, you know, I think that startup community is very true again, being in that fast paced environment where you're moving from possibly office space to office space and you're growing and you're sharing like one desk with three people before you move up to your new space. And, and that physical environment has created really deep links for those employees, but also trust in terms of what they're working on and soundboarding innovation capabilities to share ideas on the go. And so one of the things I think that we're challenged with across companies, but particularly when I think about sort of tech and startup world is how do you have employees have that physical environment? So do you bring it into their home office? You know, do you have a, a share time where they work from home some of the time and they use uh, physical office spaces for these innovation, you know, thought process experience meetings? Um, and what does the physical environment continue to look like? Is it as big as um, what it was before? Do you start to look at thing, more things like hot desking if you didn't have that before? Um, your rotation schedule? How do you bring everyone together? So I think those are the really maybe more minute, but physical environment complications. How do you bring the brand into people's homes question mark, do you do that? Is that the right thing to do? Do they want that? And for employees that want to come back to the office, how do you keep it safe, but intimate for lack of a better term? How do you make it comfortable again to share space and to share ideas thereafter? So I think that's one of the biggest things that we're grappling with in startup world, in sort of my, my Google world. And I think more broadly companies are trying to find yeah. that balance. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So I think we're, we're, we're coming to the final sort of couple of questions. So uh, we'll have to keep, keep, keep them short. So there's a bit of a speed round for you. So um, what would you like your legacy to be? That I've given back. Full stop. So if it's, if it's advice, if it's just sharing what's challenged me, if it's mentoring other people, uh, if it's creating 
YouTube videos, which I shamelessly plug and hope they can scale good thinking, just that I just that I've given back in in my space in startup world in tech space. Perfect. Finally, I just want to take one from the stream, which we missed earlier. So Venkat, who who um, listened to the show quite a few times, um, just wanted to look at uh, what his objectives for the ideal um, objectives for someone just sort of starting out in any industry. Yeah, oh, that's a big question. Um, in short form, I think I, I'm going to rip a page out of Ben Lindsay's book and say the best place to start is to find people on uh, a platform like LinkedIn or the dots or Facebook, depending on what industry you're in, and look at their profiles and what they've done in their career, skill sets they have, courses they've taken, volunteer programs they've been a part of. Um, and I, I don't think there's anything lost in reaching out to those people to see if you can bend their ear. You may never hear from them, but mirroring their path or finding activities and what they've done and testing them yourself, I think is a huge way to build into a career or an industry that you don't know as much about. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention all of the online courses you can do. Um, there are multiple platforms um, out there and just, you know, taking a 30 minute course or being a part of a, a three year online course, there are various offerings that help you scale up or get more comfortable in new spaces. That's a cheater Amazing. way of answering action, but it, <laughs> hopefully it's helpful. Anna, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've had um, so many questions, so many comments um, on on the stream that we haven't got, had a chance to get to them all. Um, but I think it's it's real testament to to the um, to, to the great comments and, and, and advice you've, you you've given. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks everyone for um, asking questions, commenting, um, and uh, and please do like, share, and follow both Jonathan and I for for more of the same. Thanks, Anna. It was fabulous. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Look forward to the next opportunities. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.